Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different. And a cookie-cutter approach just won't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 128. And on this show, we have Lyme expert, Dr. Bill Rawls. Also, welcome with me to the studio, our show producer and the brains behind Lyme Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn how Dr. Rawls gave up looking for a diagnosis and instead concentrated on restoring his health, how antibiotic treatment was not the best option for him, and how he discovered medicinal herbs. And as you might guess from those points about what you're going to learn in this episode, Dr. Rawls indeed does have Lyme disease himself. It's really a remarkable story. It's a great interview. And before we jump right into that, I want to remind you that on our homepage, LimeNinjaRated.com, there's a short email course on genetic nutrition. I know that's a really hot topic these days, and it's a great little introduction there. You can just sign up. It's free. And we'll send you, I think it's four lessons, uh, really gets to the basics there. It's a, it's a great little piece that we put together. The second thing is if you like the work we're doing and have any inclination to send a little money our way, we'd really appreciate it. There are four levels starting at $4 a month and the next is eight and 12. So something for everybody's budget. If you can't afford $4 a month, we really actually understand and just send us a nice email and that touches our heart and keeps us going as well. It sure does. All right. Aurora, why don't you tell us a little bit more about today's guest? Sure. And this is from his website, RawlsMD.com. Dr. Bill Rawls graduated from Bowman Gray School of Medicine at Wake Forest University in 1985. He holds his medical license in North Carolina. Dr. Rawls has written extensively on health topics, including Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, and chronic immune dysfunction. He is the author of Suffered Long Enough and has contributed to various health sites. Aside from his writing, Dr. Rawls serves as a medical director for Vital Plan, an herbal supplement and wellness company he co-founded with his daughter, Brayden. Thanks, Aurora. And here is my interview with Lyme expert, Dr. Bill Rawls. Why don't we just dive right in and just tell us your Lyme story, the short version. Because we've got other stuff to talk about. <laughs> okay. Dive right in. Very good. Um, well, I, you know, n- nobody plans to get Lyme disease. It's, it's one of those things that just happens, and it generally happens in the worst of times. I actually think I carried the microbes for a long time. Um, I was a very outdoors person in my childhood, constantly in the woods, constantly with tick bites and uh, really didn't suffer any consequences from it that I 
recognized. Um, entered into the medical profession, was not attracted to the medical side of the medical profession, and went into the practice of OBGYN, the specialty of OBGYN, because it dealt with health and wellness and bringing life into the world, and it was very active and vital and stimulating, and I, I really loved it. But I went for the best training that I could get and decided I wanted to go to a small town on the coast of North Carolina to to offer that special specialized care. And what that meant, going to a small town, was taking a lot of call. Um, and it's, uh, it's so for 15 years, I took call every second to third night. And I was one of those people that if someone was in labor or out there, then I was vigilant. I just didn't sleep. So I spent 15 years being sleep deprived. And in my late 40s, that caught up with me. And I didn't really didn't understand what was going on. But sleep disturbances and fatigue and muscle pain and joint pain and just this wide range of non-specific symptoms went to my internist. Um, he really couldn't put a finger on it. I mean, we checked everything under the sun. We checked the thyroid. We checked this. We checked that. All basically normal. And um, I finally just accepted the diagnosis of fibromyalgia and that I was going to be that way. Um, started having a lot of cardiac symptoms with skip beats and chest pain. And my first uh, effort was to try to exercise through it, and that just made the situation worse and worse, and my condition deteriorated to the point that I couldn't do night call anymore. So ultimately, I ended up um, stopping my OBGYN practice. Um, my partners, because I couldn't couldn't take call, asked me to leave the practice, and I didn't really have a diagnosis, so I couldn't declare disability. So I started a, a, a medical practice um, with this vague concept of a wellness practice that I was determined to get well, figure out what was going on, overcome it, and help a lot of other people do the same. And um, it, it, it was a tough go. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, preventative care in our country is just a hard road to hoe right now. It's. Uh, you just don't get reimbursed and for, for, for office visits unless you're mowing through 25 or 30 people in a day. And I couldn't do that, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to help people. So I was seeing about 10 or 15 people a day and barely making ends meet, um, which just added to the stress. But ultimately, I ended up with another kick bite, and I, you know, I'd worked through all these wellness concepts, changed my diet, stopped taking the call, uh, started using some herbs here and there, and was getting better, and to the point that I could at least function and practice. And then I got a kick bite that I didn't. Uh, it was one of the little ones on my buttocks, and, you know, I thought it was a little chigger bite. And, and uh, after these weird rashes, well, this was one July, I finally ticked off and found this little tick and got the bullseye rash. And then all the symptoms that I'd been working so hard to get rid of came back in spades. Yeah. And then it was quite obvious that 
you know, I, I had Lyme disease and I'd probably had it all along. And that was what the problem was. So I went back to the internist and antibiotics and they made me sick as a dog. Um, I tried doxycycline. I tried, uh, why, why do you think that, all of these why things. do you think that was? Why do you think they um, made you sick? My flora, uh, yeah, my flora is just really sensitive to the the antibiotics, and and what I found is an awful lot of people are that way too. And um, I have since learned, you know, that's that's a big uh, focus of my new book coming out is is looking for alternatives to antibiotics because they don't work for so many people. Um, once you understand the microbe, you understand why a lot of things that people are doing for it. And so my intuition pushed me away from, from, from antibiotics. And, um, I kept, you know, I was just hitting that wall and, and wasn't getting anywhere and felt like, you know, wow, you know, you've got to look for other directions. And at that point, I immersed myself in everything that I could bring to me <laughs> that might help me. Because here I was in this medical practice. I was trapped in the town. I was still doing GYN surgery with no coverage, so I couldn't leave town. And I wasn't making a healthy living. And I had two kids in college. Wow. And we just didn't have the financial resources to fly across the country and see a Lyme doc or, you know, pay for all these very extensive therapies like ozone or IV antibiotics. I just didn't have that option. So I had to look for things that I could bring to me. Um, so, I, you know, I considered rice machines. I considered everything under the sun and, um, read about them, immersed myself into them, um, weighing that, okay, what's the potential for good? What's the potential for harm? And how much is it going to cost me? And what it kept coming back to is you really should try herbal therapy because it doesn't, it, the cost wasn't prohibited. The potential for harm was really, really low. And there might be something there. Mm-hmm. It was definitely worth trying. And about that time, Stephen Booner's book, Healing Lyme, came along, and I read the book and said, you know, this is right up my alley. This is what I was looking for. So I ordered all these herbs, and I took just handfuls of capsules. My wife <laughs> thought I'd really gone off the deep end at that point, and I started getting better. And after three months, better and better, and at that point, uh, my life changed. I immersed myself in herbal therapy, learning everything that I could possibly learn. Um, I had gone off and gotten a, uh, taken the time to become certified in holistic medicine by then. So I had some background, and, and that was just the impetus to keep building on that as right. hard as I could. Yeah. And, um, and, and it just kept going from there. And, and not to say it was all up, all all downhill, that it was an easy course. There were lots and lots of up and downs for many years. Um, you know, with the heart involvement, I ended up having a cardiac cath, which fortunately my vessels were clean, but the cardiologist said, you know, I, I don't really know what's going on with you. You can take this beta blocker and cut out some of the PVCs, or you can just live with it. I don't know what's going on. 
and and it was after that point that I realized that I found out that I really had Lyme disease and and um, it was probably cardiac involvement and so it took several years of herbal therapy for all the heart symptoms to go away um, but over over a several year period I probably had every known symptom of Lyme disease uh, every one of them so it, it gives me a different point of view to be able to speak from that platform of having experienced every single bit of it, but have it to figure it out myself with the resources that I had, not going have being able to go to a big university or somewhere, and um, and it gave me a totally different perspective, and I've been trying to build on that ever since. That's an amazing story. Now. Coming from the Western medical pharmacological side of things, I mean, herbs really aren't that much, from my point of view, I'm an acupuncture, isn't that much of a stretch, but from a doctor's point of view, it is a pretty big stretch. What was the most surprising thing as you moved from pharmaceuticals to herbal medicine? Um, I guess going beyond the traditional view of herbs. And and I think that's one of the things that makes my perspective differently. I consider myself as practicing modern herbology. And <laughs> I love it. The difference is that when you look at all of the herbal traditions, whether it's traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, whatever, um, you know, every every population, every culture on earth has had an herbal tradition. But the traditions were predated science. So, you know, it was basically someone with knowledge about herbs, a person came in with a particular spectrum of symptoms or, or in Chinese medicine, as you well know, observations of hot and cold and, and how these observations translated into manifestations of disease and what herbs could be matched to those observations and manifestations. Um, whereas I think it's important to respect all of that because it's all just remarkably important information. But now we're at a point where we can look and say, okay, what's actually causing those manifestations? You know, when you look at disease, you're looking at um, what we eat and toxins in our environment and how that affects our immune system, which a lot of microbes like Borrelia and Mycoplasma and Bartonella that are all in the, you know, we all have these things in the margins of our microbiome and it allows these things to flourish. So how can you look at the biochemistry of herbs, the different chemical substances within the herb, and how can you bring herbs together that affect those underlying causes that cause the manifestations and presentation of the disease process? And to me, that part of herbology is just really fascinating um, and, and so much fun. Um, but I think a, a lot of we're just on we're just beginning to explore that as a culture. I think. Now, what else did you use to turn it around besides the herbology? Did you use any adjunct therapies? Um, not that much. Um, for me, 
herbs did it, um, I think you could probably do it faster adding on other things. But for me, that and, and what I would call lifestyle and dietary modifications. I mean, it, you know, it affects every system in the body. Every, but everyone's GI tract is a wreck. Um, <laughs> Early on, I did have to have medications for sleep, um, and and that was a bear in itself, um, just because I just literally destroyed my natural sleep ability. Um, so I did have to have conventional medications. Um, I changed my diet. I stopped doing the night call. I started meditating, practicing qigong and yoga. Uh, you know, looked at, you know, where, where are toxins entering into the picture? How do we get rid of those kinds of things? How do EMR devices, electromagnetic radiation, how is that entering into the picture? So minimizing the stress factors that are causing that underlying immune dysfunction, which is really the underlying problem of the whole thing. Um, along with complementing that with herbs was enough for me. But uh, were, something that I've done... Go ahead. Were you sensitive to EMFs? Um, we find that some people are and some people, you know, it's like, well, it probably bothers them, but some people it just wrecks them. Yeah, it, it is... Uh, I was somewhat sensitive. Okay. Um, I think we all are to certain degrees. And yeah, it yeah. depends on how much reserve you have. Okay. Um, and if people are really knocked down, but uh, what kind of illnesses people get? I mean, I look at Lyme diseases is as a model for a, a lot of modern diseases, autoimmune disease, fibromyalgia, all of these different kinds of things. And what what diseases people end up with are dependent on their genetics, which is basically the hand that you are given to play with. Um, you know, that's, and how you play that hand really matters. Uh, what I call system disruptors, which are food, EMR, um, toxins, uh, physical stress, emotional stress, how those factors come together to disrupt the functions in your body, especially immune to function. And then what kind of microbes we have on board. And, um, you know, if it's not Borrelia, it's, uh, it's Mycoplasma, Bartonella, uh, you know, so it's never one microbe. It's a, it's a spectrum of microbes and they're allowed to erupt by this, this, this chronic dis- disruption of the immune system. And then you end up with a snowball effect that you end up in this vicious cycle. So everybody's it, a little bit different. Yeah. So in, in your mind, you think that a, some of this bacterial and viral load we're, we're carrying, we're just kind of cruising through life with it there in the background. Is that, am I hearing you right? Yep. I feel that way very, very strongly. And there's more and more evidence to, to back that up. Um, that's a big focus of my new book is, uh, is talking about that aspect of uh, Lyme disease, but really a lot of different things. Um, and when you dig hard enough, whether it's Alzheimer's or multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's, you find that connection to microbes and immune dysfunction. Yeah, gallstones. Those are the two key features. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. Everything yeah. you're going to find some connections there, and the uh, that part is a little bit random. I mean, we but we 
you know, every time we're bitten by a tick or a mosquito or hug someone or, <laughs> or you know, drink the wrong thing or eat the wrong thing, we pick up these microbes. Yep. And, and some of them, if you define them by virulence, um, virulence is the ability of a microbe to cause illness, right? Yeah, yeah. So your most virulent microbe probably on the planet right now is Ebola. And it is so virulent because humans have rarely ever been exposed to it. Um, the host for, for, for Ebola is a spider that lives in an isolated fashion and then occasionally bites a bat and then the bats connect with humans and then it ends up this terrible thing. And it's terrible because our immune system has no defense for this thing. So that's the most virulent microbe. Um, when you look at Borrelia and Mycoplasma and all of these things that you hear about that are associated with Lyme disease, these aren't highly virulent microbes, right? Right, right? They have been infecting humans for thousands and thousands and thousands invertebrates for millions of years, you know? I mean, uh, Borrelia dates back to the dinosaurs. And so it's not new to us. But it's not familiar enough to be like our normal flora. So when we end up with these things, we end up in this tug of war that the immune system is, is wants to get rid of it, but the bacteria, the microbe has enough, it's figured things out enough that it can persist. So typically what you see with Borrelia and the other microbes with Lyme disease is they occur in very low concentrations in the body. They have the ability to live inside cells. They can bore into areas like cartilage and other areas where antibiotics and the immune system don't get. But the fact that, and they grow very, very slowly. So all of these factors make them very, very resistant to antibiotics. To kill something with an antibiotic, you need something that's growing fast, is concentrated in the body, and, and it's get, and that area is getting a good blood supply. So if somebody walks in with a pneumonia, put them in the hospital and give them an IV antibiotics, in a week they're going to be well. But when you talk about Borrelia, it is in the deepest recesses of the body, in low concentrations, growing very slowly. And and antibiotics just aren't going to get that. So our solution is, well, we're going to pound you with antibiotics for six months. What that does is it pounds all the rest of the flora in the body, and it's highly destructive. It's... Uh, so a lot of people don't tolerate antibiotics well for that reason. That's so true. And do you think that's part of the chronic Lyme syndrome? Because really with the testing we have, we really don't know how much bacteria is left on board after treatment. If, if we had a great way, we could know whether or not these ongoing symptoms, and some people, obviously some people have a continued infection, but some people, the infection might be mostly cleared, but they're clearly still suffering. And do you think that's part of that syndrome? Uh, there's there's truly no way to know how whether you're eradicating these microbes. I couldn't tell you. I don't have the foggiest idea whether whether I've eradicated Borrelia from my body, but by keeping my immune system in, in optimal shape, I stay ahead of it so I don't have symptoms. So what do you do um, every day? I may have eliminated it. Yep. 
know that for sure. What do you do every day to keep your immune system tip top? Um, the things that everyone should do. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I listen up. Your doctor's going to speak to you. <laughs> I follow a really clean diet. Um, so define that I, because I talk to my patients and you'll say, "Oh yeah, I eat really well." And I always I stop doing that. I start quizzing them. It's like, "What do you have for dinner?" Sure. <laughs> so right, what's yeah, a clean exactly. diet? Um, if you look for a movement out there that probably exemplifies a clean diet, it's, it's probably the paleo, as long as you don't take it to the level of, uh, of, uh, of just gorging on meat. Um, uh, a, a really good diet is very high in vegetables. At least half the diet should come from vegetables. Um, uh, you can do it vegetarian and vegan. You can do it with meat. Um, if you, if you're eating a lot of vegetables and most of your food is coming from vegetables, not fruit, from vegetables, um, then that's, 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 that's the cornerstone of a healthy diet right there is lots and lots of vegetables. And, and you can really find wonderful and creative ways to enjoy vegetables uh, by highlighting with spices and, and different kinds of fats like olive oils and coconut oils and, and all the wonderful spices that we have. And then meat more as an accent to bring in, out the flavor, to add flavor to food. Um, but meat should be grass-fed, uh, naturally fed, not grain-fed. A uh, big part of our problem in our culture today is wheat and corn. Um, if I could snap my fingers and do one thing that would change the health of America right now, it would be to remove wheat and corn totally from our diet. Now, why wheat and corn? I have my ideas, but I want to hear from you. Sure. Um, well, everybody knows about gluten, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so what is gluten? It's a protein. It's, it's, a pro- it's a protein, right. So why is gluten such a problem? Um, it's not the only problem with grains in general. Um, there are proteins in, in all beans and, and all seeds called lectins, right? And, and these, uh, these are glycoproteins. Um, and, and basically what these things are to protect the seed, and they disrupt membranes of living creatures. So when you eat uh, something with a lot of with, with seeds, it's predominantly seeds. You get a lot of these lectins, and they damage the um, the, the proteins in your gut, or they damage the lining of your gut. Um, now we have kind of a mucus layer that protects us from most of the lectins, unless you're eating that tons of that every single day. Um, and so lectins are a problem. Um, it's like uh, a kidney beans. If you eat kidney beans raw, they'll kill you because of the lectins in them. Okay. You have to soak them a long time and then boil them to, get, to knock down the levels of lectins to the point that you can actually eat them. Um, so lectins are a problem with all seeds, 
except for like pumpkin seeds are in the center of the uh, squash, pumpkins, watermelons. Those are different seeds, and they're not armed with these lectins because the whole purpose is for you to eat them, so it goes through your body and fertilizes the seed. Um, but other kinds of seeds that blow in the wind, like wheat and corn and, and others, um, they, they, they're, they're loaded with lectins, and that's a problem. Gluten is something completely different, and that's found in the, the lectins are in the outer brand, um, but gluten is in, is in the, the endosperm. And basically, gluten is a protein called a storage protein that's there to provide amino acids to the germinating embryo. Um, and all seeds have storage proteins. So, all of your seeds have gluten-like substances, but uh, wheat has the one that is the most foreign to us, and we, we react to it the, the most high, highly. Um, so gluten and lectins are a problem in wheat. Um, the excessive carbohydrate in all of your grains, especially corn and wheat, are a real problem because they grow abnormal bacteria in the gut. They raise our blood sugar levels. And they they affect our insulin levels, which disrupt immune function. Right. So too much grain is a problem. Um, the only grain that's the exception is rice. Um, you know, half the world eats rice and doesn't have the GI problems that we do. And it's because the rice is absorbed so fast, it doesn't affect the normal flora. It doesn't seem to have damaging lectins and storage proteins like the other grains. Um, and it's not as bad. Of course, you can become a diabetic eating nothing but rice, but it's much better tolerated. Um, so rice is an okay thing on my list as long as you're not overdoing it. Um, corn is bad because it has loaded with omega-6s that are inflammatory as opposed to your omega-3s, and it's also loaded with, with starch, um, which raise your blood sugar levels. So... So there's a that's a that's the big part of diet right there is cutting out or cutting down on those grains and um, and eating lots more vegetables and fruit is okay the temperate fruits uh, blueberries and cherries and things that have all the wonderful antioxidants so to me that's what a really good diet is. Great, thank you for that exquisite detail because again we use code words, I think, out in the public, just shorthand. And we it's, a lot of times we don't get specific, and some people don't understand why wheat is such a problem or, or corn. It's like, what, what corn? What what can be wrong with corn? You know, it's everybody eats it. All the cows eat it. What can be wrong with it? So thank you for right. illuminating yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's... Uh yeah, I think that's uh, that diet is, is a big part of it. Uh, stress, we all live under very pervasive stress, and, and our world is loaded with more toxins than it's ever been. I mean, there are 200,000 different toxins that were, have never, that, that humans have never been exposed to before 100 years ago. Um, devices and physical stress, uh, we all sit much. <laughs> you need to be more active. Um, and, and all those, those factors have to be, that's part of that foundation of getting well uh, that I think is so important. You know, 
one of my little soapboxes that I stand on from time to time is is simply that every technological breakthrough that we have had has come it's a two-edged sword and going all the way back into farming and baking i mean i mean everything is a technology and some of those we've sorted through but some of these new technologies even like the little the little gas engine we're just figuring out now that nobody used to and the little electric engine too nobody used to have to do exercises you go back 75 years nobody exercised you know unless you were going to try and get the olympics or something like that you just lived your life and that was enough exercise Matter of fact, we had diseases of people working too much, much more, you know, just uh, osteoarthritis type things where the body's wearing out. And now all of a sudden we've saved all this work, quote, quote unquote, and now we've got to go all out and, and exercise. And food's the same way. It's changed radically. And the, you know, the cell phones and the pace of life and automobiles and everything, we're just sorting out. You know, you talk about stress in this overall thing, but we're just sorting out now the, the electric magnetic waves that you're talking about that's a whole nother thing that we've got this power lines running through our house and above our house and now we've got radio waves going all over the place you know it used to be you'd get a very weak signal do you ever, did you ever make a crystal radio when you were a kid <laughs> oh, yeah. hang the wire outside the window right yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But that was a very faint signal. And now we've got these powerful transmitters all through our house with the Wi-Fi and the cell phones. It's going both ways. And, you know, who knows? Nobody knows. So yep. before we yep. go, and they've, they've just they've just approved 5G uh, for cellular. And uh, that wavelength is only a millimeter tall. And there are a lot of people think that it's going to be extremely disruptive to life forms on the earth. So, yeah, it's um, we we have to pay attention to these things. We got to get smarter about it. Yeah, well, it seems. Sure. Yeah, we're we're fifty to a hundred yard years uh, behind the curve. Usually, it takes that that long to figure it out. Unfortunately. Yeah. So, but before we go on bashing uh, modern life, which is too easy to do, it's shooting fish in a barrel. Let's talk about your book. This is your second book, yeah. Uh, yes, it is. Um, actually, third. I, I okay. wrote one some years ago. Writing became my therapy. I, ah. I didn't grow up writing, but I found that if I wanted to get what I wanted to say to people, I didn't have time in that office visit, and I needed to write things down. So I started doing writing, and when I was in the middle of my recovery, wrote a book just about a model of health and wellness and talking about these, um, you know, we've talked about these things, uh, diet, toxins, et cetera, and I set, separate them into seven groups that I call system disruptors, uh, food, toxins, emotional stress, physical stress, uh, radiation and energy, mm-hmm. oxidative stress, which is free radicals generated in cells, and then microbiome imbalance um, and and you can pretty much look at any disease process and and um, and discuss it from that point of view which is really interesting um, so that was my first book and then in the middle of really discovering Lyme disease and starting to overcome things and figure it out I just nights and weekends wrote a book uh, that I called Suffered Long Enough that was about that experience. A lot of it was my personal experience. Um, 
but I just felt like it wasn't enough. And um, a year and a half ago, I gave up the medical practice to devote totally to uh, creating a new entity that if we have time, then I'll talk about as far as helping people with these things. But I took nine months out just to write this book because I wanted to do a more thorough job. I wanted to really dive deeply into what Lyme disease was and and what are all the things out there that people can pull from, what's the good and bad of the testing. Um, I wanted to examine every aspect, and, and that's what I did for nine months very intensely. Um, so that my new book, Unlocking Lyme, is the result of that effort. So would you recommend this for somebody who thinks they might have Lyme or is this for somebody who's already got a diagnosis? There's so many people out there. Like I had a patient today and we started talking about it and you know, he said, you know, I saw your sign and uh, I've been tested a couple times and I've been negative and so forth and so on. But I always wonder. So it's, it's, will this book help yeah. somebody sort that through? Absolutely. That is one of the primary purposes of the book. Of course, anybody with a formal diagnosis of Lyme disease can gain everything, lots of good information from the book. But it's, it's um, very much for that person who is in that gray zone, that they don't really know what it is or isn't. And um, that accounts for most people, actually. Um, and there are an awful lot of people out there that are calling themselves uh, fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue or some other of the many names that actually have Lyme disease. And there are those people that it's still the same foundation, but they don't have Borrelia, the microbe that's been defined as causing Lyme Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, and the testing that we have is, is really so bad. limited. It's it horrible. It's much more limited. And it's, it, it, well, it's not really because it's bad because we're dysfunctional. <laughs> or it, it's just that it, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, right now they've identified 20 forms of Borrelia and, and every other microbe that you look at. Um, in Stephen Booner's last book, he related 237 genera of microbes that can be tick carried by ticks. And this is one species of tick. Right. That can infect and cause illness and exactly. Now, a, a genera is a family, so we're talking about hundreds or possibly even thousands of microbes that could be carried by yeah. one species of ticks. So when you look at what we're doing, we're just scratching the surface. Right. Um, and that's why you can't just rely on testing alone. And that's one of the things that I want to make clear in the book. I review the current state of testing, but I, I help people understand that they don't have to rely on that. And you bring up such a big point, and this comes up, circles back time and time again, specifically as the Lyme patients are trying to interact with the traditional medical community, is Lyme disease is a very narrow, specific condition. In the medical community, when we, when you and I say Lyme disease, we mean all of that, all of the above, everything that you've been talking about. But to a doctor, no way. So we need another term that's easy to, easy. The reason we default to Lyme is because it's easy to say, you know, Lyme and other tick-borne diseases doesn't roll off your tongue. We need some, we need something. 
to be able to label this stuff so that you know once a doctor hears Lyme they've they've already zeroed in and ruled out all the other possibilities there unless they're well as well indoctrinated I don't mean brainwashed but taught understanding like you've gone through it what else can be involved with this you know this single Borrelia what comes along with it it's Borrelia and friends Exactly. Um, we've been using the term chronic immune dysfunction to just look at these whole spectrum of disorders, but one of the limitations of conventional medicine is the diagnosis. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's valuable because it puts doctors in the ballpark, but when you become so narrow-minded that, you know, you've either got this diagnosis or you've got that diagnosis or you don't have those things, then you've got a real problem because when you look at this thing, everything's a gray zone. There's no such thing as a specific diagnosis. And, um, and when you put yourself in that box that you're relying on the diagnosis to administer therapy, you've hugely handicapped yourself right from the, from the beginning. And that's one of the points you bring up in your book, that you like herbs because they're not as specific and they have a broad spectrum of effect. Correct. Very important. Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, our, all of our... When you look at conventional medicine... We do a very, very good job with acute care. Yes. We take care of problems. And if you've got something acute, a pneumonia, a broken leg, a broken hip, a heart attack, you're in the best place in the world in the United States to get that taken care of. You know, we're going to jump on that and we're going to fix it and we feel really good and confident. But when you look at chronic illness, we've only, we haven't been really looking at this concept of how do you manage chronic illness very long and we tend to manage it acutely. Yes. Um, an example that I use is hypertension. You know, we don't actually cure hypertension with drugs. Um, at all. Um, you know, we, we give drugs that artificially lower blood pressure once or twice every day. And people typically don't get well because we don't address the causes of the hypertension. And they gradually progress and they end up on more and more drugs because they're getting more ill because nobody's addressed why they've got the hypertension. In the first place. place, yeah, yeah. We're trying to artificially manage it. And um, so that's that's one of the so diagnosis and chronic, you know, this acute approach to chronic illness is one of the real deficiencies of our medical system and um, one of the handicaps when when a doctor goes in, he doesn't really want to see a patient with Lyme disease or fibromyalgia because it's this nebulous thing in his mind that he doesn't really understand what's going on or how to treat it. And, you know, the medical profession is saying, well, you know, you can treat acute. If somebody walks in with acute Lyme disease, give them antibiotics. But if they don't have that, well, you, you you shouldn't give them antibiotics. And then the Lyme doctors are saying, well, you need to give six months of antibiotics, but there are no studies to back that up. And so your average doctor is going, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> I yeah. don't have time. That's right. Um, so most most so one of the things that I do in the book, I, I wrote a chapter just helping people understand their expectations of the medical system. 
what do you ask for from your doctor? What kind of expectations should you have? And what are some things that you shouldn't do? So one of my goals with the book is to help patients use the resources that they have to be able to use their general provider better to get better results from that person instead of going in with demands that that person can't meet. And um, and I, I, I hope that the book is very, very helpful in, in that sense, even to uh, the, 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 just the conventional medical doctors. Now, has your book been published yet? Uh, we've got about two more weeks. Okay. In the final stages of approving the editing, and, and uh, we're hoping to have a real book here in two weeks. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the date, we're going to do a webinar, just an, an interview to allow people to ask me questions specifically about the book on the 25th, and uh, we're going to have the official launch of the book on the 31st of January. Oh, fabulous. So So we're we're very close. Super close. Now, you mentioned another entity, (laughs) vague enough word, that you worked on during this, and I think that's your business with your daughter. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Um, One of the frustrations I had in the medical practice was not having time to spend with people to carry them through a process to help make it easier. And, you know, when you look at the regimen I use for the herbs, I had to get sources for each ingredient. I mean, I had like 12, 20 different bottles that I was pulling off of. And it it was complex to get everything that I felt like I needed to cover all the bases. Um, And so one of the things, uh, my daughter graduated from UNC with uh, a minor in entrepreneurship, and and, uh, she... uh, we decided to go together to build a supplement company um, looking for making supplements out of the best ingredients possible and really to put that trust back into the supplement industry. Um, and as it evolved when we were looking at my picture, um, we decided to create supplements that put that whole process together and made it easier. So we we created a basic foundation of supplements. Um, but I felt like that just that wasn't enough by itself. I'd written the Suffered Along Enough book. I knew people were reading it, but I wanted to give them just a little bit more. Um, so we started, I started writing this email series um, that initially lasted three months. Now it's out to six months. Oh, my goodness. That through emails, we give people the information that they need in a timely fashion of, through emails once a day or once uh, every other day for six months. Um, so the emails are, are short. You know, they're a page or two at the most. And in the beginning, it's a lot about expectations with the supplements, you know, what 
what kinds of effects you might have, how to deal with reactions, Herzheimer reactions, and, and all of this sort of thing. Um, and, and I wrote a diet program to complement that, which goes all the way through the six months um, that, that gets people uh, on something that will help restore their normal gastrointestinal function. Everybody's dealing with food sensitivities and 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 so it starts initially talking about the supplements that but then we move into other aspects, you know, how do you quiet your brain? How do we improve sleep? What medications might you need early on for pain and sleep? And how do we deal with those kinds of things? And then move later into graduating people toward becoming more active, uh, going back to work, um, all of those kinds of things. Um, and we're, I've, I've done three phases of the program. We're getting ready to go into phase four just to keep making it better and better. So those two things, um, making nerves easy and having this complementary program that carries everyone through that whole process uh, is, is really been grand, um, and it's been very helpful for people to guide them and, and make just that transformation easier. That's an amazing amount of work. I send out little emails every week to a small list that I have, so uh, six months worth of daily emails or even every other day i understand how much how much work that is that's crazy <laughs> and it's fantastic so how do people if people listen to this i'm sure they're saying wow how do i get me some of that so tell people how they can find out about your herb company this email program your book let's get down to brass tacks here sure um the our company is Vital Plan, and it's just vitalplan.com. Um, and the program that we've that we've designed is called the Restore Program. Um, now, we, you know, two years ago it was my daughter, I, and a designer. Now we have 13 people on staff, and a, a core of that staff are customer service people that I work with every day that are very good about answering questions about the program and the products. And I stay on standby, so whenever they have a question that they don't feel comfortable with, they punt it to me, I answer it directly, and get right back to people. So we pride ourselves on customer service and, and really helping people. Um, but the Restore program is, uh, if you look that up on our Vital Plan website, it's, it's pretty easy to find, and there's lots of great information about it. Um, I will tell people, though, uh, you have to understand, you have to read between the lines. Because of FDA regulations, we cannot use a lot of words, certain words on the website. I can't use the word healing. I can't talk about Lyme disease. I can't talk about any disease process on the website at all. So it's almost written in code. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's this crazy thing that we've got this great, program that works wonderfully and people love it and we're making people well and we can't really talk about it. <laughs> it's, uh, so we have a, a sister website uh, called Rawls ND that is just loaded with information. We just built that in the past month so we're still getting all the bugs out of it but I'm going to continue loading information, my whole objective with that website is to help 
our community, our community that we want to serve, which is is Lyme and fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. So we'll be putting more and more information on that, um, and uh, we'll have a, a greater social media connection to to hear from people. You know, I want to know what people want to hear about. Um, so we will continue adding to that more and more um, to help people move forward. Uh, to get their lives back. That's fabulous. Dr. Rawls, thank you so much for your time. It's been a fascinating march. It's it's Martin Luther King Day, so maybe we'll say we marched through your Lyme story and Lyme disease itself and through your book and through your efforts here to communicate with people and educate them and ultimately help them with herbal medicine. And it's just been absolute pleasure of mine. So thank you for what you do and keep doing it, man. Well, thank you very much, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to get out there and reach people. We we uh, feel like we're making a strong effort that's really making a difference with people, and, and I think the big message that I would have is you really, to, to overcome this illness, you have to take responsibility. You have to take ownership of it. You can't just put it in somebody else's hands, yeah. um, and you, know, you, you have to take a part in your recovery and be the, the force that propels that recovery. And those are the people that get well and go on to better lives, not just normal lives, but better lives than they were living before. Um, and, and that's, um, that's, that's a message I would have to, for people is, uh, take it upon yourself to learn what you need to know to get well. Dr. Rawls, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. This was, this was a great interview, and, and I was very interested to hear how he got into his into medicine in the first place, into OBGYN in the first place, you know, because he was interested in supporting vitality and creating trading life, that sort of thing. It's not a stance you will often hear doctors admit. What, that they're interested in vitality? <laughs> yeah. I feel like... It sounds so holistic. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> there are good doctors out there. We can't bash every doctor. I'm not bashing every doctor. It's just, it's... I'm... Uh, um, what's remarkable is that he, he, his phrasing ah. of supporting, of supporting vitality, the, how he said that rather than saying, you know, healing people in terms of fixing, fixing them, but rather supporting vitality. It's really a completely different thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The other thing I really enjoyed speaking with Dr. Rawls about is his love of herbal medicine. And particularly coming from the Western world and all the pharmaceutical chemicals and then moving into natural medicine was really a surprising and interesting shift. And really uh, necessity was the mother of that transformation there. And it reminded me of Sarah Jernigan and her love of herbs. And yeah. takes us all the way back to episode number three. That's right. It's been too, we need to interview Sarah again. 
Yeah. I'll I'll it, send her an email tonight. Actually, that's just it's mm-hmm. too long. It's been two years. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> She's too great a resource. She knows too much about herbs. We we need to put her back on the spotlight. Don't you think? I think so too. Yes, especially. I mean, her and Doctor Walls both share this uh, commitment to quality in what they're providing for pe- in what they're providing for people with their herbs. So yeah, definitely. Not to sound that sounds really salesy, but yeah, <laughs> it didn't sound salesy. Yeah. Speaking of sales. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, we'd appreciate it if you would support our efforts by subscribing. Go to LimeNinjaRadio.com and you'll see the subscribe button under the featured episode. Yes, please. We appreciate every little bit that comes our way. It costs us about $300 every month to put on Lime Ninja Radio. So a small contribution can go a long way to helping us keep viable. We really appreciate it. So thanks, Aurora, for bringing that up. And lastly, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not end. We would just talk forever and ever. (laughs) And ever. However, yes, we do stop because we must bring you, we have to bring you the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know that part of a ninja's final exam is to unscramble eggs? Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.